0: Welcome to Fort William Baptist Church audio sermons. We're so glad you could join with us today. This fall, we have begun a new sermon series called Soteriology. During this series, we will aim to unpack how our God applies salvation to sinful men and women. We are returning to the great doctrines of a sustained and refreshed Christ church since the days of the apostles. With the great works of God before us, effectual calling, regeneration, justification, sanctification, and glorification, our hearts will be stirred up to hunger more of the work of God. For more information, please visit our website at www.fortwilliambaptistchurch.com. Well, would you grab your Bibles this morning and open them up to the book of First John? Our sermon this morning is going to be based on 1 John chapter 3, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 3. So we're in this series called Soteriology, and we're studying salvation, God saves sinners. And so Christ, through his life and death and resurrection, has won for us a great salvation, and God applies it to us. He gives it to us. And we're studying the gifts that God gives to us in Jesus and so this morning, we're going to look at the doctrine of adoption. In the gospel, God calls us son and daughter. So let's look at God's word this morning. 1 John chapter 3, starting in verse 1. John writes, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Oh, Father, we plead your promises this morning. In the promise of the new covenant, you've promised to give us new hearts and to remove all that is cold and stony. And so we pray this morning, would you give us the heart of the new covenant? Would you give us spiritual eyes to see and would you incline our hearts to you? We want to know your love. We want to taste your love. We want to live in it. And so we pray this morning, open our eyes to your love. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I can't remember what grade I was in, but I was young. I was either in first or or second grade, but I was experiencing some mysterious headaches. At the end of the day, I would come home with a headache and I would have fatigue so much so that I would just lay on the couch and my mom would come to me and she'd have a a cold washcloth and she'd just put it over my face. And after a bit of time, it became clear to my parents and to others that the the fatigue I was experiencing and the pain I was experiencing was all connected to to my eyes, Now, I could see generally well. I could go play baseball with my friends. I could catch and and hit and run around. I could sit down and read books. But at school, I couldn't see clearly what was written on the whiteboard in front of me. My classmates were sitting around me, and they could look at the whiteboard, what was written, the letters and the numbers, and they could see it. They could make it out. But I was sitting there next to them, and I was looking, and everything was fuzzy and unclear to me. And because things were fuzzy and unclear to me, I was sitting there squinting and straining the whole time. Because I was squinting and straining for hours in the classroom trying to make out what the teacher wrote on the whiteboard, I came home with headaches and fatigue. Well, a visit to the optometrist quickly solved my problem. She told me that I was nearsighted, and then she gave me a pair of glasses. And so when I wore these glasses and I sat in the classroom... I could see what was written on the whiteboard. The letters, the, the numbers weren't fuzzy anymore. And because I could, I could see clearly, I wasn't squinting and I wasn't straining anymore. And because I wasn't squinting and straining anymore, I didn't have the headaches and I didn't have the fatigue anymore. Now I tell you this little story about my eyesight to introduce a spiritual problem to you that many, I think, are suffering from many in this room are suffering from. And that is a spiritual squint, a spiritual squint. Well, what does this mean? Well, think about it like this. You're busy in the life of the church. You aren't one of those people who are sitting on the fence, on the sidelines, watching everybody else play. Instead, you've thrown yourself into the life of the church. You serve and you're invested in the life of the church, so much so that you're on several ministries. You come faithfully to church, you sing the song, you pray the prayers, you you listen to the word preach, you you jump into the studies, but here's the thing, you go home at the end of the day, and you go home with a spiritual headache. You go home at the end of the day, and all you want to do is lie down on the couch because you have this spiritual fatigue, and you just want someone to come and, and lay a cold washcloth over your face to give you some relief. Some of us are suffering from this spiritual fatigue, spiritual headache. And if you're someone who suffers from this, you know that it's a troubling place to be. Why? Because think about these things. These things in our lives are are meant to fill us up. The word, the prayers, the, the praise, the sermons are designed to lift up our hearts to the Lord. And when our hearts are lifted up to the Lord. We expect to receive blessings from the Lord that the Lord would fill us up. Even more, when we think about our service to the Lord, our service shouldn't be depleting us, running us dry. Instead, what should our service be doing? We serve out of joy, and not not only do we serve out of joy, but we serve for the sake of joy. What makes all of this worse is when we have this spiritual fatigue and these spiritual headaches when we look around at our brothers and sisters in Jesus, and there they are investing in the church, there they are serving and they have joy and it seems that their joy is increasing and that their strength is increasing and their love is increasing and then you look at yourself and you compare yourself and you say, I'm just not there. It seems like I'm, I'm falling apart. So the question is this, what can be done for us? What can be done for you? How can you get rid of a spiritual headache? How can you get rid of spiritual fatigue? We often respond in one of two ways. Sometimes we respond by pulling back. And so, we, so we, we stand there and we start doing some, some work, connecting the dots. And we say to ourselves, well, perhaps this, this fatigue I'm experiencing, these, these headaches that I have, are connected to the amount of energy that I'm exerting in the life of the church. Perhaps I need to pull back from ministry and, and stop serving in the church. Perhaps I need to take a step back from fellowship in the life of the church. Perhaps I really don't need all of these things so much, the, the prayers, the praise, the sermons, ministry. Perhaps if I pull back, I'll start to feel better. A second way we respond is the exact opposite. Instead of pulling back, we, we try harder. We think to ourselves, well, if, if two ministries aren't getting the job done, that's not helping me. Maybe I need to add a third ministry to the mix. We think to ourselves, if this Bible reading plan isn't delivering joy to my heart, perhaps I need to add another Bible reading plan to the mix. Perhaps I need to, to start reading a book or two on top of that Bible reading plan. And so we start connecting the dots. Maybe I have this fatigue, maybe I have this headache I'm not exerting myself enough. So I just need to double down, and if I get double down, if I get more serious, this fatigue is going to go away. This, this headache is going to finally leave me alone. And I can tell you this morning that both of these options are dead ends. Neither of these options will make the headache stop. Neither of these options will, will pick you up and deliver you from your fatigue. And so the question is, well, what can be done for us? And there is good news for us. There is an answer for us. You can be delivered from your fatigue and your, your spiritual headaches. Just as the optometrist gave me salvation for my eyes, a pair of glasses, and a, a diagnosis, there is salvation waiting for each one of us. And we can find it this morning. But before we go there, before we look at salvation, we need to think more about our spiritual headaches, our spiritual fatigue. We need to put our finger on the reason why we have headaches, why we have fatigue before we can go to salvation. So to think about this, we need to go to Jesus' ministry. So in Luke chapter 15, Jesus is teaching and he tells a story about a father and his two sons. We, we know the story. It's entitled the, the Parable of the Prodigal Son. But this is a poor name for this story. I don't know why our Bibles put that title in because... It's a story about two sons. And Jesus wants us to think about these two sons, especially how these two sons relate to their father. And so we go to Luke chapter 15 and we listen to Jesus. And as we listen to Jesus, he wants us to think about these two boys. And as we think about these two boys, they seem radically different. One boy is a real scoundrel. What does he do? He demands his inheritance from his father and he takes the inheritance and he goes off and he lives in the far country. And while there, he he lives a terrible life. He drinks and he's partying. There's girls. There's that whole lifestyle. And by the time he's done, there's not a cent left. So that's the first son. And then there's the second son. And the second son is the dutiful son. And as the dutiful son, we actually don't hear that much about him. And that makes sense. The first son gets all the media attention. Everybody's looking at him and what he's doing. But we don't get that much information about the second son. And that's okay with the second son. Because he stays put with the father and he puts in the work and he works harder than anyone else. So Jesus is a crafty storyteller. So the way that Jesus sets up this story, we're naturally inclined to look at the prodigal, the son who goes off into the far country, and when we're we're looking at him, we're tempted to do what? We're tempted to wag our finger at him. We say to ourselves, that guy has some massive problems. As we think about his situation, as he's there with the pigs and he's hungry, we say, it's good that he's wallowing in the mud. He needs some humility. And I'm so glad that the Lord is giving it to him. But we have to understand something. Jesus is setting us up with this story. Both of the sons, and we have to get this, we have to understand both of these sons have massive issues that have to be dealt with. In fact, Jesus wants us to see that both of these sons have the same exact problem. If you strip away the exteriors of their life and you drill down to their heart, the same thing is going on within them. So we ask well, what is the problem with these boys? Let's look at the prodigal son first. So interesting, Jesus reveals the heart of this boy when he begins to contemplate repentance, when he begins to contemplate returning to his father and what he's going to say to his father. Verses 17 through 19, Jesus says this. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Jesus wants us to slow down and think about these words. As we think about them, we can say that the son is is saying some good things and and feeling some good things. And so in those verses, the son is owning and confessing his sin. He says, "I I have sinned against you. Even more, he connects his sin to the Lord. I've sinned against heaven. And he's feeling guilt and shame about it all. He says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. My sin is grave. But there's a problem with this boy. After acknowledging his sin and feeling guilt and shame, he then proposes a solution for his sin. He's thinking about how he's going to fix this mess that he has made. And so what is his proposal? He says this, treat me as one of your hired servants. That's what he's going to say to the father. And that's what, in fact, he does say to his father. Treat me as one of your hired servants. So tuck those words away. Put them in your back pocket because We're going to pick up on those later. So that's the prodigal son. Now we can go to the second son, the, the elder son. And so he comes into focus after we've had this long look at the prodigal son. And so this boy, he comes into the field, in, in from the field, and when he comes in from the field, he, he sees that there's a, a big happening going on. There's a party, there's, there's dancing, there's good food, there's drinks, everyone's having a, a merry time. And so he asks, what is going on here? And someone comes to him and tells him, your brother has returned. Jesus reveals the heart of this son in verses 28 through 30. Jesus says, But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him the son is obviously angry if we could see him his face would be red his his fists would be clenched there might be a sibling rivalry here there might be some unfair treatment here but there's something deep going on within the soul of this son listen to how this boy speaks to his father verse 29 he says look see understand dad these many years i have served you the niv translates it with more force it says look all these years i've been slaving for you so there we have the two sons and do you do you notice anything in common with these two sons So on the surface, they're different. One goes off in the far country and squanders money. The other one stays home and he's he's working for his dad. He's duty-driven. But Jesus wants to see there's something similar about these two sons. At their heart level, they have this. Think about it like this. As they get down to the brass tacks of their relationship with their father, they both start to talk the same way as they start to reason with their father, they use the same words because they're expressing the same heart. The prodigal is coming home and he he wants to make things right and so what does he do? He says, treat me as one of your hired servants. And the dutiful son sees the father's treatment of the prodigal and what does he say to his father? All these years I've been slaving for you. So what's going on here? Well, both of these sons have misunderstood what it means to be a son. Both of these sons have radically misunderstood what is in the heart of their father, what their father is truly like. And so both of these sons need to learn about their father and what it means to belong to him. So what happens in this story? There's grace. There's so much grace. So there's the prodigal, and he's talking about service. What does the father say? He commands one of his servants and he says, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and let us celebrate. He doesn't want to hear about this service. He he tells one of his servants, go bring all the signs, all the tokens of sonship and place them on this son. He's my son. I'm so delighted that he's here. And the father starts to speak to the angry and dutiful son. And what does he say? He says, son, you are always with me. You are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. Why are you talking about slavery? Everything that is mine is yours. You can have it all. All the fattened calves are yours. Can you see what this father is doing? He is shunning all the talk about slavery, all the talk about service. He's not going to have any of it, and he won't have any of it. Because that's not what it means to be a father. And that's not what it means to be a son. And, And so in both of these instances, he showers his sons with love. He invites them in to his love that they might come and share in it. Brothers and sisters, I am convinced both personally from studying my own life and theologically from studying the words that the root cause of our spiritual fatigue and our spiritual headaches is due to a spiritual squint. We carry out our service to the Lord. We sweat, we labor, we work, we pray, we sing, we listen, we read, we study, but we do all of these things while we're squinting, while we're straining. We're nearsighted and we're sitting at the back of the classroom and the teacher has written all these words on the the, the front of the whiteboard and we just can't make them out and so we're squinting and we're straining. We're like the two sons in Jesus' parable. We're standing in the presence of the Father. His heart is full of love towards us and all we can see, all we can talk about is our own service. Dad, I'm going to serve you. Dad, all I have been doing is slaving for you. Our heads and our hearts hurt. We are weary and worn down because we have been operating without a crystal clear understanding of the love that the Father has for us. And so that's the problem. Our aches, our pains are directly connected to our eyes, what we're seeing in our Father. And so what is the solution? The solution is this. We need to go learn what it means for God to be our Father And what it means for us to be his children. And so to do this, we're going to look at the doctrine of adoption. It is a glorious doctrine. So here's a definition for us this morning to get us going in the right direction. Adoption is a work that particularly belongs to the Father. Where he takes lost and rebellious sinners... And he constitutes a new familial bond with them. He becomes their father and they become his children with all the rights and privileges thereof. So what is adoption? It's the work of the father. And in this work, he's taking lost sinners and he's establishing a new relationship with them. He becomes their father. They become his children. And as children, they get everything. They get everything. So we can go back to our three-word sentence, God saves sinners. God saves sinners, we can say this morning, by making sinners his children. We can personalize that this morning. God saves sinners by making us, by making you his child. So brothers and sisters, there is balm in this doctrine of adoption, and my aim is to bring balm to your soul this morning, and we're going to do it by looking at 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. We're just looking at one verse. So the Bible has a lot to say about adoption. The Bible loves to talk about God's fatherhood. The Bible loves to talk about Jesus' sonship. The Bible loves to talk about how the Spirit takes the spirit of sonship and brings it to our hearts so that we might cry out to God. But we're going to focus in on this one verse because this one verse brings us into direct contact with the heart of God, and that's what we need. And So this has to be stated from the outset. What we find in this one verse is enough balm to, to heal any spiritual headache. It doesn't matter how, how bad your head hurts or how long your head has been hurting. There is enough balm in this one verse to heal it all and to heal it right now, even more, what we find in this verse can cure you of all spiritual fatigue. It doesn't matter if you've been experiencing this fatigue for a long time. It doesn't matter if this fatigue is mysterious and you just can't put your, your finger on it. It doesn't matter if this, this fatigue is this deep spiritual depression. There is enough in this verse to cure any and all spiritual fatigue. If. If if you can see what is in this verse, if you can see what is there in the text. So what we're gonna do is just walk, walk through this one verse really slow, praying that God would allow us to see what is really there. So verse one. Turn with me in your Bibles, 1 John chapter three, verse one. So John begins the verse with a command. He says what? He says, see. We read our Bible so fast sometimes we just miss out on the obvious. This is a second person plural imperative. It's a command. John is calling us to attention. It is as if John through the scriptures is reaching out and grabbing our shirt sleeve and saying, Hey, stop, listen, I've got something important to tell you. And so right away as we look at this first word, find application for ourselves, John comes to us and he says, see, look, behold, stop. And So this is a good point just to stop and question our hearts. What is it exactly that I'm focused on? What is it that has captured my attention? What is that thing, that object that I can't stop thinking about, that I can't stop looking at, that I can't stop meditating on? What am I looking at? At and here's the truth what you focus on what you give your attention to is either going to give you fatigue and a headache and pain or is going to give you joy and refreshment and life and so John starts with us and he says look, see you have to do this and so we respond to John and we say what should we be looking at, John? And he writes, he says, see what kind of love. This is a special kind of seeing that John calls us to. What he has in mind is not a quick glance out of the window. When you're sitting in your living room and the car drives by, you just want to see what what kind of car it is. This kind of seeing is not the the kind of seeing you do when you're looking at your phone, just scrolling through whatever you're looking at. kind of seeing that you just forget instantly after you've scrolled by. Rather, John has in mind a gaze that assesses carefully. He wants us to look in such a way that finds value. And this love that John wants us to look at, he wants us to see, has great value. He says, see what kind of love. This is no ordinary love. Rather, it is a love, as John tells us, that has a glorious character to it. It is a love that has this excellent quality to it. And the scriptures try to describe this love for us. And as the scriptures try to describe it, the scriptures are just grasping for language to get their arms around this this matter of God's love. It is a love, as Paul writes, that surpasses knowledge. It is a love, as we find in Ephesians chapter 3, that has no top or bottom no width to it, no depth to it that we can fathom. It is a love as the lover from the song of songs sings that is, that is better than fine wine. It is a love as the psalmist says that is better than life itself. John says see, see what kind of love. And again we are met with application. Simple application. Christian, it is your duty to study love. Christian, it is your calling to set your eyes, to set your attention upon the indescribable love revealed to you in the scriptures. Think about it like this. What is your calling as a Christian? Your calling is to pursue, to chase after love. It is the obsession of your life. And get this, because this matters. The more love you see, the more love you behold, the more you're going to be refreshed the more joy you're going to have, the more fruitfulness in your life you will experience. And understand this, when you don't see love, when it's not your preoccupation, when it's not your obsession, your occupation, you're going to suffer from all sorts of spiritual aches and pains. There is a direct connection in our lives between seeing God's love and our experience of the Christian life. So John keeps writing. There's more for us here. He writes, See what kind of love the Father has given to us. So there's a source to this love. John tells us that this love comes from the Father. There's an object of this love. This love lands upon us. And this is good news. It's so simple, but it's right there. What is John telling us? He's writing to his people, his congregation, and he wants us to see this. The Father loves you. Just think about that, that the Father loves you. That's what we need to see from this verse. The Father loves you. Do you know that? Has someone told you that before, that the Father loves you? Is that how you live the Christian life? Do you wake up in the morning and do you say to yourself, Oh self, the Father loves me. Do you go to bed at night and say to yourself, the Father loves me? When you sin and you fail and you fall short in the Christian life, what do you say to your soul? Do you say, the Father loves me? When you're speaking to encourage someone, what do you say to them? you say, the Father loves you? You need to know this. You need to bank upon this fact. The Father loves you. We need to put some flesh on this statement that John tells us. The Father loves you. What does that mean? Well, we can say this. The Father loved you first. Before you reached out to Him, before you ever thought of Him, before you ever had inclination to, to go after Him and to, to, to reach out for Him, the Father moved towards you. Get this, no one had to persuade the Father to love you. No one had to come along and cajole him. Father, now it's time to, to love this person. No, it was in the will of the Father. This love arose from the Father. It was of his will to draw sinners unto himself with the cords of love. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. John says, and this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Love flows from the heart of the Father. God loves you. The Father loves you. Well, what does that mean? We can say the Father loved you first, but what else? The Father loved you when you were unlovely. You have to understand this. The Father was not moved by your good deeds. He wasn't moved by your worth. Rather, he loved you when you were unlovable. He loved you when you were dirty and unclean. He loved you when you were a rebel. He loved you when you were dead in your sins, lost and hating him. Romans chapter five, verse eight. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The Father loves you. He has loved you by loving you when you were unlovely. Even more, we can say the Father has loved us extravagantly. The Father's love is not a matter of cheap lip service. We've met those people in our lives. they, They speak to us, but they don't really follow through with anything. The Father's love is not measured or proportioned. In love, the Father gives us everything and more. Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 32. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? The Father's love is extravagant, he gives you everything. So here's the application. Believer, what do you see when you look at your father? What do you know of your father's character? When you're looking at him, when you're thinking about him, when you're praying to him, what are you convinced of? Are you convinced of his love? Do you see his love with clarity? Do you know this, that the father loves you that's the thing we need to see written on the whiteboard we need to see it clearly (laughs) the end of the verse see what kind of love the father has given to us that we should be called children of god and so we are So the Father's love has done something for us. Better yet, the the Father's love has done something to us. What has it done? The love of the Father has created a bond of love between Him and us. We've discovered so much in this sermon series on salvation. We've been studying what God has done for us. He has called us. He's regenerated us. When we were dead, He made us alive. He's given us faith and repentance so that we would turn to Him and look to Him. He's justified us. He's forgiven us our sins and He's reckoned us as righteous for the sake of Jesus. What we see in John chapter 3, verse 1 is the best news of all. This is the most glorious part of salvation. God has called us His children and we have the right to call upon Him as our Father. The two sons in Jesus' parable couldn't stop thinking about their service. There's the father, and all they want to talk about is what they're going to do or what they've been doing. The prodigal, what did he do? He placed his hope in his service. He said, I will serve you. And the older brother couldn't get past all the work that he had done for the father. It was his hope, it was his confidence, it was his pride. I have been slaving for you all of these years. And this is where we get into serious spiritual trouble. This way of thinking is the source of our spiritual aches and pains. But the truth that John gives us in this verse puts all of this to death because he gives us a better hope. He places our feet upon a solid rock. Believer, take what I say to you right now to heart. Because God is your father, you are his child, this is true of you. Note this. The Father will always love you. Note that the Father will always love you. You have entered into an unbreakable bond with the Father. Paul puts it like this. I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from what? Separate us from what? from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The Father will always love you. No one, no thing can break this bond that he has created. You are his daughter, you are his son, and that will never change. Oh, this is good news. You can count on the Father's love today in this moment. You can count on it tomorrow. You can count on it 10 million years from now. It is sure and secure. It is an unbreakable bond and it changes everything about life. What happens when you get cancer? What happens when your job just stinks? What happens when life is hard? We're greeted with this news. The Father will always love you. He will always love you. Note this. The Father's love doesn't change. The Father's love doesn't change. Our performance or our lack of performance, our obedience or our disobedience, our sin or our faithfulness will never move the needle on God's love for us. Think about it like this. If you wake up early in the morning, you get up at 5.30 and you read the Bible for an hour and you pray for an hour, that doesn't tick up. God's love for you one bit think about it to this afternoon you go home and you get an argument with your wife and you you say foolish things because you get angry and irritated guess what that doesn't change the father's love for you not at all God's love the father's love for us doesn't work like that it isn't measured on our obedience or our disobedience why because God loves us of his own accord. His love isn't dependent upon us. He loves because he loves. He loves because it's his good pleasure to love. It's his delight to do it. And note this. The Father's love is full of affection. The Father's love is full of affection. The Father does not stand back. The Father is not detached The Father is not far away from His children. He isn't a Father that is uncomfortable with His children. It's not like that. There's no awkwardness. Rather, there is within the Father a disposition. Even more, there is this sweet inclination in the heart of the Father towards you. If you are in Christ today, the Father is inclined towards you. He has set his heart upon you. He delights in you. We can even say he desires you for himself. When we speak of love, it's not just a set of actions. Yes, there are actions, but there is affection in the heart. There is a desire in the heart of the Father for all of his children. We could say much more about the Father's love and much more needs to be said. But I leave all of that work to you. The scriptures call each one of us to do what? To go and explore the Father's love for us. That's our occupation now and forever, to learn the Father's love. And our God is so gracious and so kind because he calls us to explore this love. We see God's love in giving this verse itself. God loves you, know it. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And know this, as you go to the Father, and as you behold His love, as you give yourself to this great exploration, something is going to happen if you really see. What's going to happen? Your spiritual fatigue is going to go away. Your spiritual headaches are going to go away because there's only one thing that can refresh us in this world and the world to come, and that is the love of the Father. And as you stop looking at your own service and your own slavery to the Father, and you behold his good and gracious love, you will find refreshment and you will find joy for yourself. Let's pray. Oh Father, we need your help we need your help we don't think about your love very much we're often confused about what's in your heart we're like the two sons from Jesus' parable and so we pray now that through the preaching of your word you would demolish our stupid thoughts so that we would see your love and that we would rejoice in your love